The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstances. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and understand the value and purpose of money across generations? Is your money out of control or needing some finessing? In the third season of Finesse Your Money, the theme is more than money. We're talking all things money with our inspirational guests, but we go beyond that to explore creating a legacy beyond wealth, success and stewardship among families, the energy and purpose of money, well-being and wealth, relationships and money, connection, being intentional and values. Listen in to hear some excellent tips from our guests and set yourself up for a bright, happy future with a stronger sense of purpose around money. Get ready to be inspired. I'm Janine Wilson, the host of Finesse Your Money. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, many more years. I'm the founder of Finesse Financial Advisors. Hi, and welcome to Finesse Your Money. I'm Janine Wilson. Our guest today is Alicia Elliott. Alicia is a specialist family lawyer, uh, collaborative practitioner and director at Holmes Donnelly & Co Solicitors. Alicia's focus is on providing clear guidance and advice to her clients to assist them in obtaining the best outcome for them in their own particular circumstances. She provides support and empathy during a challenging and difficult time, whilst ensuring that her clients remain future-focused and pragmatic. As well as working in some of Sydney's top law firms, Alicia was previously employed as an investigative lawyer at the Serious Fraud Office in London. This places her in a unique position to take an analytical and forensic approach in complicated financial matters, including in relation to concealed assets and income or difficult business valuations. She's the co-president of the Central Sydney Collaborative Forum. The forum brings together lawyers, financial advisors and coaches to work together to use and develop collaborative practices in Sydney. Alicia will tell you that she loves her family, friends, wine, and not necessarily in that order, person after my own heart. (laughs) She studied law for very naive but common reasons that she wanted to help people and always knew that she wanted to practice in an area of law that was focused on people's lives. A fun fact about Alicia is she's recently trained for the 30-kilometre coast trek walk in March, but she's not sure what she was thinking when she did that. Neither am I. (laughs) She's a bit of a gym junkie, but trekking is a new one for her. So we wish you the best in that. And welcome today, Alicia. It's great to share this time with you and our listeners will certainly get a great deal out of today's session. Thank you, Janine. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. Yeah, I'm sure that many of my listeners are going through difficult times. COVID has certainly amplified that for a lot of people where homes have become a little bit like pressure cookers. So colloquially, I'm hearing news that there's a little bit more separating and divorcing going on. And even to the extent that I had a client tell me the other day that they had share housemates just uh, having to leave that shared house situation uh, in COVID times, which can be just very difficult. So look, tell us more about Holmes Donnelly and what it is that you stand for. So I think, look, I totally agree. I think COVID was very 
very much a pressure cooker for a lot of families. I think some people decided to hold on and ride it out and other people left at the time. So we'll have to see what that means for this year. But in terms of HDC, as we we call ourselves, we are um, a relatively new practice. The three partners that set up this practice, we started at the beginning of last year, although we did have a practice before that with another partner. We're a boutique family law firm in the centre of Sydney. We have eight solicitors, including five accredited specialists. So family law is our bread and butter. We know it very well. But in terms of what we stand for, we pride ourselves on being very client focused. We want to make sure that our clients are at the centre of the practice. Now, that can be a very overused phrase. Lots of people say that they are client focused. What we mean by that is finding out, and particularly in my own practice, I think it's really important. I mean, family law is about a family and no two families are exactly the same. So for me, it's very much finding out what is important to each individual client and then finding a way to help them reach that outcome. I also try to be responsive to clients. It's very, as I said in the, or as you said in your introduction, it's a very difficult and emotional and challenging time in people's lives. The last thing they want is to send their lawyer an email that says, please, I need you now or ring and no one answer the phone. So I really very much focus on being responsive to the clients. And we also pride ourselves on giving exceptional service in terms of the legal advice that we provide. We're we're not a firm who's going to tell you what you want to hear unless, of course, that is in line with what the um, law would say. So we see ourselves as being pragmatic, giving sensible advice in a way that tries to move things towards a resolution. That really resonates with me, Alicia. And, you know, primarily that I've been saying for years, the client is at the centre of everything that we do. And Mm. the first question before anything else is what's important to you as a client and work from there and, you know, go as deep and as wide as you need to in terms of helping them achieve what they want to in terms of outcomes. So Mm. the theme of this season is more than money. What does that mean to you and how does that translate into the work that you do with your clients and give back to the world more generally? Mm. Look, in terms of um, my life personally, it's something that I'm very focused on. I mean, I've got two children, I have a husband, I have a life outside of work. Work for me is not the be all and end all. It's a really important part of my life and I do love my work, but we focus as a firm on having a really good work-life balance and making sure that people do have a life outside of work as much as I can do that. You know, we have a great community that both we are trying to build within the Sydney Family Law Practice and also I have a great community of friends and, and family at home. I think for me, I mean, look, you can't live in Sydney without money, obviously, but um, there is definitely more to life than money. So I think in terms of that feeds into the way I practice and want the firm to operate, you know, I encourage my clients to look at the bigger picture. You know, money is a really, really big piece of the puzzle, but it's not the only piece of the puzzle. And sometimes you need to look at what how the pieces all fit together in terms of how that can make you achieve your goals. You know, I absolutely agree. I always am talking to clients about, you know, going after that. Divorce has often been seen as very adversarial, and I think some lawyers certainly encourage that. 
But for me, it's about understanding what you want, going after that prize and getting into this, you know, dispute over, you know, some trophy McMansion in the suburbs or whatever that trophy is to you is ludicrous because it might not meet your future needs, particularly in relation to money. And so it's a much better approach to actually work in a collaborative way to understand what is going to give you the best outcome in the long term for yourself and your family and your sanity, quite frankly. Oh, and, exactly. and figure out what that looks like and then come to the table knowing what you need. You don't need the McMansion, you know, and if that's the case, do you sell it and, you know, move on or, you know, whatever that looks like, but come to the table knowing what you need to satisfy your, your future, you know, best life, if that's a better way of saying it. So you can have a bright, happy future. It's got to be a better, yeah. better way of doing it. So, Alicia, obviously, we know that you're a family law specialist, but what's more important to you than money when it comes to separating and divorcing? I think it really follows on from what you were just saying. And what I try and dig into with clients is, okay, you're telling me you want a million dollars. Why? What's the underlying need for that? It's not about a million dollars at the end of the day. And for some clients, it's about stability. They think, if I don't have that, I won't be able to have a stable life. I need to provide for my children. They're worried about having enough money to pay the costs for their children. They're worried about, you know, security and looking forwards what their life's going to look like. And whichever party you are in the divorce, you know, if you're the income earning party, you're thinking, well, hang on, why do I have to pay all this money? What's my life going to look like? And if you are someone who hasn't been in the workforce, it can be a really scary thing, divorcing and separating, because you think, what is my life going to look like? So I really encourage people to look at their own circumstances and look at what is important to them. I think for some people, the other important factor is not the money, but they think if I give this up, no one's recognising what I've done to get here. You know, I, I've, I've worked my butt off to get here and no one cares. You know, she doesn't care or he doesn't care. And so it's about digging into that and thinking, okay, so you want recognition for what you've contributed to this relationship. Let's look at what that actually looks like. And, you know, I think in terms of working in a collaborative way, it's really important to think about what people's goals are and what their needs are and what they need to get there and to reach a resolution. And certainly you're right. Many women I speak to, and it it is particularly the women, I think that because of that maternal, deeply maternal instinct, that they do want that security for their family in the future. But look, you know, I'm sure you'd have plenty of examples, but, you know, I I recall saying to, you know, a friend many, many years, ago you can't eat the house having the mansion in the suburbs having to go back to the workforce when you haven't worked in a you know a 20 years or decade or whatever that is and you know having to go back to the workforce the kids won't love you for it anyway you want the security and comfort of having that home that they're familiar with while you raise them but they won't thank you for it you know is it a better time to look at the alternative which is maybe to sell it and you know get something that's more modest that then is more affordable for you you're not you know, take that pressure off. You know, if we fast forward then that 10 or 15 years or whatever it's been since I had that conversation, that particular person is now suffering from anxiety because she carried so much of the heavy, you know, did all the heavy lifting herself. And so there's other options. Mm -hmm. But I think if you really plan it out and, and work with other 
you know, professionals, you can come to, you know, a better outcome in the long term because there's plenty of things we don't know until we know them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think it's not about minimising what those needs are. I think it's about recognising, as you say, what it might be. I mean, I remember another client I had many years ago who she'd inherited, well, she hadn't inherited the house, but her parents, they'd bought the house from her parents. And so the house itself was actually really important to her. And she said, I will make it work, Alicia. I will make it work. You know, I will do what I need to do to keep this house. And she did it. And, you know, the Sydney market has gone absolutely gangbusters <laughs> in the last few years. So it turned out to be a very smart decision for her. But she did need, you know, she had my advice, obviously, but she also did see a financial advisor at the time to say, is this possible? And they said, yes, it is possible just if you do all of these things. So I think it's really about looking at your own individual circumstances and taking advice in some cases as to what's going to work for you. Yeah, and, and you know, doing that is much better than other cases. I'm sure we could both mention, particularly me, where I'm thinking of a couple of women where they just stick their head in the sand and don't want to know about it and suddenly, you know, the sheriff's knocking on the door and, you know, all of those sorts of horrible side effects. So yeah. anyway, better way of going. So tell us about the general process of separating and divorce. Okay. Okay. So one thing I think a lot of people get confused about is the difference between divorce and all the other processes that flow. So when people separate, there's sort of three main aspects to it. One is if you have children, what parenting arrangements are going to be put in place. In terms of property, what property settlement will I do? Is there a, So there's a financial aspect, which is property settlement, spouse maintenance and child support in most cases. And then the third aspect is divorce. Now, divorce in Australia is the dissolution of the marriage itself. So it's quite a bureaucratic process and it's completely actually separately to those other two things, which generally are the things that are more important to a lot of people when they come to see me. In terms of the process, I'll often say to people, let's deal with property settlement and parenting stuff first. That's what's more important. You can't divorce till you've been separated for 12 months in any event in most cases. So let's just put divorce to one side and let's focus on the property settlement and parenting. So focusing on the property settlement side, you know, in most cases, usually people need to get together, exchange financial documents so that they know what the other person has. You know, you want to be in a position where there's complete transparency between the parties so that you can put together a matrimonial balance sheet of what the, the family has. And then you can take the next step of dividing that up. So I think you and I will talk about the processes that are available in a little bit, but that's sort of the first stage. The other thing that, you know, I normally talk to people about early on is making sure that there's security and stability and safety. So, you know, are you in a safe environment? If not, what can we do to get you into a safe environment? Do you have money? Do you have access to money? and what's going to happen with your kids. So that's kind of the more human aspects, if you like, rather than mm. the, the procedural aspects. A uh, couple of things here. Will a prenup help? And, you know, is if the longer you've been in a relationship, is there differences? If you, you know, just got together a year or two ago, is that very different to if you've been together 10, 20 or 30 years? Okay, so look, prenups or binding financial agreements, they're officially called under the legislation. So they are a bit of a controversial area in family law and different family, family lawyers have different views about them. Our firm takes the view that they are helpful. They are the best protection that you can have under the current legislation to protect your assets that you have right now. So a prenup is obviously an agreement you enter into in advance of getting married or before you enter into a de facto relationship. You can also enter into these agreements during a de facto relationship or marriage or 
after a defective relationship or marriage once it's broken down. So a prenup, the idea is that it's protecting the assets that you came in with. It's protecting, it can set up uh, how those assets will be divided up and how any joint assets will be divided up. Under the legislation, these agreements can be set aside. So that's where the risk factor comes in. Now, a good lawyer should draft these agreements very carefully and minimise the risk so far as is possible of them being set aside. Now, there's nothing, you can't stop the other party from making an application down the track to set them aside, but they would need to have a basis for it to be set aside, which is something like you haven't been upfront about the assets that you have, which we would call non-disclosure, or there's been duress placed upon one of the parties to enter into the agreement. In terms of your question about the length of time, do you mean entering into one down the track or do you mean... Yeah, generally, if you've been in a relationship for a relatively short period of time, you know, one or two years, Mm -hmm. compared to if it's, you know, decades. (laughs) Yeah, look, a financial agreement is obviously going to have, you would think, if it's properly drafted and all those other factors don't apply, less chance of being set aside. Because one of the other factors that they can set aside these agreements is if it's hardship arising from the care of a child. So that is something that also, you know, I, I spoke to someone last week who's in her early 20s and has significant assets from family. And so she wants to protect those assets. Now, She doesn't have a crystal ball. I don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what her life is going to look like 30 years from now when hopefully she'll still be with this person. But a good lawyer can draft those agreements to take account of some of those factors and acknowledge openly that they they may be something that comes into play at a later stage. I mean, as I say, it is the best protection under the current legislation. Mm. I take the view that it's better than not having an agreement, even if it's set aside down the track. Someone You can show the judge and say, well, this is what we intended back then. And hopefully that will be taken into account. Yeah. And I think as well, I mean, thank you for that. Um, Financial Planning Association of Australia, we've started talking about prone-up as another thing to do. But it, I think it's a great idea to come together as a couple, a newly formed couple, and actually get a financial plan together. Because it really, if you're working with a great financial advisor, it'll really open up to discussion those values and behaviours that exist in everyone and that, you know, it, it, it might prevent people from actually going into a relationship in the first place, if, you know, not this doomed to fail, but, you know, that where values aren't aligned and behaviours aren't aligned. And, you know, as I said earlier, you don't know what you don't know until you do. Mm. And it's it's one of those opportunities to really deep dive into who you are and what's important to you. I mean, most people wouldn't want to get into a relationship with someone who's a spendthrift or an addict or, you know, whatever that is. And those sorts of conversations coming out in the formation of a plan around money can really be helpful. So that's another way of thinking of it as well. Um, Prevention better than (laughs) prescription. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Tell us about the different ways people can go about separating or divorcing and, you know, what those options are for them. And does it always have to be adversarial? No, is the short answer. And I think, you know, lots of people, I would say 95% of the people who come to see me don't want to be adversarial, probably more than 95%. They say, I want to be amicable. And I think all of them probably, but at least most of them are genuine in that desire. Sometimes that changes when compromises are required to be made. People think amicable means you know, he or she will take what I'm offering and then we we formalise it without having had any discussion. So 
that doesn't necessarily work out. But look, there's lots of options. So I always say the options range from the kitchen table to the court. So, you know, the first option, and it depends if, if people are very amicable and they don't have a lot of money to divide up, sometimes people come and see me and I can give them advice about what I think on a high level is their entitlements on that initial information they give me. And I'll then say, why don't you go back and have a conversation about what whether you two are happy with that, you can divide it up, and then they just come back to us to formalise it. I do think it's important for people to be aware of what their entitlements are and the importance of formalising a property settlement because if a property settlement isn't formalised, then, you know, you can have all kinds of strife down the track. So that's sort of option number one. And then you start to slowly have the lawyers involved as you move through the options. So, you know, the next option would be a roundtable conference, which is the parties and the lawyers in a room together just trying to nut out a deal. Collaboration is another option, which you and I will talk about a little bit more later, which is a series of meetings. You know, those kind of processes, the clients have a lot of control and mediation is the same where the clients have a lot of control. Now, you can have mediation with lawyers or without lawyers. Often, particularly in relation to parenting matters, people will go and mediate without their lawyers present. And there are a lot of really good mediators out there who can help with parenting matters. Or you can have ranges too. I've had mediations that have gone for three plus days where you're mediating about a whole range of issues and you have, you know, very senior retired judges mediating. Arbitration is a newish option that um, is starting to have a bit of take up in Sydney. It's effectively a private trial. So it's not that different to litigation, but it can narrow the issues in dispute. And litigation is when you go to court and you want to have a big fight about almost everything. And, yeah, so they're sort of the options. And I do think as you go through those options, they do become, some of them are more adversarial than others because, um, you know, lawyers become involved and parties become positional. I think going to court particularly, it's very hard for people not to become positional and think, well, I want this. This is what the orders say that I want. And the other party said what they want and, you know, never the twain shall meet. So so arbitration, you mentioned that's quite new and I assume part of that is there's probably been an uptick in arbitration as well because of potentially COVID. These matters aren't being heard as quickly through the courts and so on. And so, I, you know, I would have expected to see a bit of a rise there as well. Mm. Mm. I think it's been something that's been picked up in other jurisdictions outside New South Wales, but I think Sydney is starting. We've got a fair few of the senior retired judges and other practitioners who have qualified as arbitrators. So I, I do think we're going to see more and more arbitrations in Sydney simply because of the delays that are within the, the court system mm. at the moment. Mm. So collaborative practice, it's an emerging area for couples separating. So what is it and why is it advantageous and who does it work best for? So collaborative practice is a process that assists separating couples to work through the various legal issues that arise in their breakdown of their relationship. So it can deal with parenting, it can deal with property, child support, all the usual things that we deal with. You basically have a team of professionals around you that includes each party has a lawyer, financial advisor, so we call a financial neutral. So there's one financial advisor who will work with both parties. And sometimes you can have a psychologist or some other counsellor who assists with the parenting arrangements. In Sydney, we also use a collaborative coach who is a psychologist or a counsellor who helps run, not really run the um, collaborations, but they help you lay out the goals and options throughout the various meetings. So with collaboration, you have a series of meetings and the team helps you set goals for the family, look at options that will help you achieve those goals and then put in place the 
agreements or orders that you need to get there. The whole idea of collaboration, we were just talking about um, litigation being positional. We really try in collaboration to move away from being positional and being more focused on that particular family's needs, both as individuals and as a whole. It's a lot more about face-to-face negotiations. So I talked before about disclosure. In collaboration, you would ask for disclosure face-to-face and you bring the documents in face-to-face and go through them together. Now, that can avoid problems because sometimes if you get a bank statement and we we look at the bank statements and we then think, oh, why is that money? Where's that going? As where if you're sitting there with the other party, they can say, oh, remember, I paid for the gardener. And they go, oh, yeah, okay, great, thanks. You know, it's a two-minute thing rather than a, you know, series of letters back and forth. The other advantage, I would say, of collaboration is that it really allows both parties to take the reins of the negotiation and talk about what's important to them. You know, separating families have to live with this outcome for the rest of their lives. It's really important that they have some control over it. Your other question, I think, was who does it work best for? Look, it's not for everyone. It's a process that requires respect and compassion. We have to work at a pace that suits both parties. So I think it therefore works best where the parties are respectful of one another. They can still cooperate with one another and they can be civil. They need to be able to communicate and the coach can assist with that. If one party has a view, a fixed view about what should be achieved and is unwilling to compromise, collaboration is probably not going to help. But again, I think it's really about having control over the process or the other place where it's probably not suitable is where there's a history of violence or other abuse. So I'd stay away from collaboration in most cases where that's the historical background. Thanks, Alicia. So you must have heard it all by now. What are some of the common pain points for couples separating? So first one is obviously kids. You know, everyone wants to talk about their children, which is I very much understand that, although I think I'd be happy for my children to go and spend as much time as possible with my husband sometimes. <laughs> but look, the arrangements for what's going to happen to the kids, you know, depending even whether you were the primary care parent, you want to make sure you want them with you. The other parent who hasn't necessarily had as much care, they want to make sure they continue to build a relationship. So it's about the children's safety, allowing them to continue to build relationships with both parents. The other pain point is often access to money or how to separate out money. You know, people need to think about how they're going to be able to pay their bills and protect themselves. If there's family violence, it's about safety. You know, I, as I said right at the start, I really try and focus on people's individual circumstances. You know, there are some lawyers out there who will say, don't leave the home, you should never leave the home. That may be the right advice for lots of cases, but in a violent situation or an abusive situation, that's not necessarily the right, the right option. So you really need to be able to listen to what people are telling you and what's going to work best for them. You're absolutely right. In terms of who it works best for, could you generally say that it's, you know, more younger families or couples with younger children, potentially even teenagers are, are going more into the collaborative approach rather than potentially older, more mature couples, et cetera? Is there any sort of general idea there at all, Alicia? Not that I've observed. I think it really comes down to the relationship between the parties and how respectful is really the key word that relationship is. You know, you can not like someone, but you can still have respect for them Mm -hmm. and be willing to listen to their side of of what's happening. So I think that's really the defining feature. Yes, I wouldn't think, I mean, people who have younger children, it can work just as well for, and the coach will just be more heavily involved in terms of making those parenting arrangements. 
teenagers obviously are in a different situation because they can, once they're of an age where they can move around, they can sort of make their own decisions a little bit more. But that doesn't mean the parents don't want to put something arrangements in place. Yeah. So what are your observations about women and money? And are there any common mistakes that you see them making when it comes to leaving a relationship? Um, It was interesting, you said before about education and being educated about what the situation. I mean, I was talking before about being transparent and having to disclose to the other person what the situation is. I mean, my advice to women who are still within relationships is be educated about what your financial circumstances are. I had a client a few years ago who was an absolute go-getter. She stepped out of the workforce to have two children but only uh, for a couple of years or a year or two and in that time she and her husband agreed and it was, you know, an agreement between them that they would close down her bank accounts and all of the money would go into a joint bank account. Now, when they separated, which is 20 years later, he took all the money from that account and she was left in the short term with, with nothing. And I remember her saying to me, you know, no one tells you this. That, you know, she had two daughters and she said, you know, they should teach financial literacy at schools. You know, I didn't think about this. I thought I'd be fine. You know, I have earned so much money over the years and now here I am with nothing. So I think it's really important, you know, everyone's entitled to make their own choices about what they want to do, whether they want to work or not work, and that's absolutely fine. But I think it's important to just know what the financial circumstances are within your own relationship. I think I had a, you know, I have a number of clients who when they come to see me, they just they just don't know. They don't know what they have. And in some really extreme cases, they don't even know what they've signed over the years. So there's mortgages and there's loans and there's credit cards. And, you know, they think they're in a great financial position because they're living in a $3 million house, but there's a $2 million mortgage and they're in debt up to their eyeballs. And, you know, that situation can be exacerbated when there are companies and other businesses as well. So, I think it's really important to just have an open conversation about it. I mean, again, I'm not talking about situations of family violence because obviously financial abuse is its own separate category there. But I think in a a relationship that doesn't have a violent element or an abusive element, it's really important to say to your partner, okay, let's be completely open with one another about what we have. Absolutely correct. I mean, I advocate for that all of the time, kind of naturally in families that I know of, certainly my family, that one person seems to take control of, you know, managing the money for the household, but get together. You're the family CFO, chief financial officer, get together around the kitchen table, know where you stand. Um, It's a great learning environment for children. But beyond that, don't sign things you don't understand. You want to know where you are financially. And you, you know, women are fantastic day to day, week to week, year to year managing the household finances, you know, managing the budget, putting the food on the table, you know, organising the utilities and all of that sort of stuff. A lot of those things fall to women. But when it comes to investing, they're much less confident. When it comes to business, they can often be much less confident, particularly where, say, for example, it's a tradey type of business where a guy who's on the tools of the trade has then developed a business around that and, you know, mum naturally goes in and does the book work um, and those sorts of things. You know, things evolve over time and you need to stay on top of it, but, you know, you absolutely need to always have that element of, you know, protecting yourself 
and having a little bit of money aside, as you said, bank accounts cleared out for that for that lady after, you know, decades and, you know, just always have that little bit of money aside or know how you can get it, you know, yeah. who you can rely on and, and get the support from. So, so vitally important. Lots of people come and see me when they're considering separating. And I will say that, I'll say, just start putting some money aside, open an account in your own name and, oh, I, I wouldn't want to do that. And I think, well, come on, <laughs> if you are going to separate, you know, some of them it's because they're thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to, and that's absolutely fine. But I think if you are going to separate, you need to be able to have that money to support yourself. If you need a lawyer to pay your legal fees, you know, you might need to pay an accountant, you might need to pay rent, you know, who knows what your costs are going to be. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So are you able to talk about some of the outcomes you've seen with couples separating and divorcing, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, if you like? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I was thinking about this when I was preparing and I think I had one client who was in a very difficult situation. They were very wealthy, but the husband was absolutely uncompromising in what he would agree to give and what he wouldn't. We had a mediation that went for three days and everyone was absolutely exhausted. Lawyers, mediator, parties and we got a good outcome and she was happy but she wasn't sort of over the moon happy and then you know I still stay in contact with her and this is well five years ago now but she then managed to sell her car she'd had this car and it was owned by the company so she'd been not able to sell it and she finally sold the car and she sent me a photo and you know the um Toyota ad is it Toyota where they do oh what a feeling and they jump <laughs> And she sent me a photo of her next to her new car. And it was, you know, she downgraded from a Porsche to a Toyota Corolla or something. But she was like, it's mine. It's the first car she'd had since she was 21 years old that was in her own name. And she, you know, she and I have spoken to her since. And she just said, I didn't realise the emotional burden that that divorce was actually placing on me. You know, I, I know you told me it was a good outcome, but I couldn't see it. You know, I am so glad, though, that it was resolved when it was. I just couldn't. And we, as I say, we resolved a mediation, but we were three months from a trial, so which had been listed for seven days. And she just said, I just don't think I could have coped. I don't think I would have coped with that. So, you know, the outcomes, I think that's why it's really important to think about what your needs are because, you know, she could have gone through that trial and maybe she would have got a little bit more money, but would she have been any happier? Would it have met her other needs, you know? And some for some people, yes, they want to win. They want their day in court and, you know, I, I am there for that too. But for some people, there's more to life. Yeah, they're going after the prize. For me, uh, I want a bright, happy future if, if I'm in those shoes. So I want to not give too much away, be fair and reasonable, and then just walk away feeling confident that I can move on with my life. You know, I advocate when I'm talking to people, you know, I've worked with a lot of different allied services. And the reason for that is like you've said, with collaborative practice, you're bringing in the financial planner, you're bringing in the psychologist or the you know the therapist that can or the coach or mentor to help people be able to do the work sometimes what's showing up and and how you're presenting to the world isn't what's happening on the inside it's a bit like the iceberg isn't it exactly. duck under the water and you know dealing with all of those things as and when they're arising is better than carrying that heavy burden for years to come and, you know, I, I've often said to people, you know, financially people can be harmed really for, you know, seven to ten years. Some people may never recover financially from uh, the event of separating and divorcing. 
But certainly if you've got all that baggage in your background, you're probably less likely to have a happy life. You're more likely to step into another relationship that is potentially going to fail because you haven't done the work. I totally agree. So do you have a financial planner, Alicia? I do not. (laughs) It's something that my husband and I have been talking about on and off for a while, but we haven't actually taken the step of doing that yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's never too early or too late. You know, it's a great thing to do. And maybe you're very financially disciplined as a household. Do you run the household in terms of financially or do, does one person at your your home take a lead role? How do you organise it? So, okay, my husband and I have been together for 20 years since we were very young and our financial goals have always kind of been aligned. We always wanted to travel and do that kind of thing and we were happy to spend all our money. And so it's only in sort of recent years since we've been back in all those it is 10 years now that we've actually bought a house and all of those kinds of things so it's only now that we're feeling a bit more stable and and able to think about it in terms of day-to-day you know I generally am in charge of all of that stuff about maybe two years ago now he said to me I think you better give me a login to the internet banking because what if something happens to you I won't the hit by the bus theory I know. So we do. I mean, look, he it's all obviously completely open and he does now have access to everything. I don't think he chooses to use that access very often. <laughs> but and he knows it's there. He's got that comfort and security of knowing it's available. So, look, we'll talk exactly. again soon, but I, I'd love to hear more on that score. But um, yeah. thank you for sharing that. I put you a bit on the spot <laughs> that, with that one. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> so what are the top three things our listeners who are separating or divorcing can do right now to help themselves financially, emotionally, et cetera, as they move forward with this whole process? Okay. Number one, surround yourself with a great team. Now, I think that's not just your lawyer, although obviously the lawyer is very important, but I think you need a lawyer you can trust that you can talk to and who gives you the advice that you need, not just what you want to hear. I think you need a support person who isn't your lawyer, whether that's a friend, a sibling, a counsellor, You know, your lawyer should be able to guide you and give you emotional support, but you need someone else to fill that role as well because otherwise your bills are going to be through the roof and you don't want that. I think if you can also have an accountant that you trust or a financial advisor, that's also really helpful. One of my focuses with my clients is to keep an eye on the future. So I think it's really important to have a financial advisor. So that was actually one of my, my second step was Picture what you want your life to look like at the end of the process and then craft your goals accordingly. You know, the emotional burden of separation and divorce is huge. The process itself can exacerbate that. If you can set some goals and set yourself up for the end point, that can be really helpful. If you have financial advice, and I encourage a lot of my clients to do this, get financial advice before the property settlement is finalised so that they can think about what they're going to do, particularly for clients who aren't financially savvy, can be really important to think, okay, what am I going to do with this money? And the last one would be make a list of what's important to you and keep going back to that. Sometimes, particularly when you're in a mediation or you're in a collaboration, you can't see the wood for the trees. You know, you start focusing on detail and that's not necessarily going to help you. You know, some details will be important for you for your particular case, but others aren't and you can forget what they are. So figure out your own personal bottom line. Thank you, Alicia. I I like to make an analogy at this point that it's a bit like being on a boat. So if you're focusing right at the edge of the boat, you're more likely to get seasick. But if you focus on the horizon... probably won't. And it's a bit like that with going through separating and divorcing. If you're focusing too intently on all of the detail and the things that are immediate to you, 
then mm. you're probably it's going to probably make you sick <laughs> to your yep. stomach. But if you're mm. able to focus on the horizon and get into that practice of, you know, that five or ten year, that decade thinking where you're really focusing on the future and what you want it to look like, you'll get a much mm. better outcome in the long term. And it is, it is emotional and challenging. So sometimes it's hard not to look back. But if you keep reminding yourself to look forward, I do think that can help. Absolutely. So where can we find you online? You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on our website, which is www.homesdonnelly.com.au. Um, we're shortly going to be launching a new website. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And you can find me on Instagram, I think, but maybe just focus on LinkedIn and <laughs> on the website for now. And we'll drop all of the um, Alicia's contact details in the show notes in any case. Look, it's been absolutely lovely speaking to you today. I'm sure, as I said, that our listeners will get a great deal out of it. Um, so just on, on my front, I'm actually launching some educational content under one of my Finesse Your Money brand very soon to help people close the gap on what they don't know to improve their financial literacy and particularly focusing in on people potentially going through separating or divorcing. So hopefully our listeners Mm. can find that quite useful. If you want to contact me in the meantime, www.finesseadvisors.com. And um, again, thank you, Alicia. Um, As I said, we'll drop everything in the show notes for people to have a listen to. Thanks again for today. Thank you so much, Janine. It was a pleasure talking to you. Hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money. Join me, Janine Wilson, next time for Finesse Your Money. Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or email me at admin at finesseadvisors.com to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. Make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.